Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I love playing the game. I think as I've gotten older, um, you know, perspective has has changed a little bit, but um, you know, I just I feel like I'm out there, and I've already accomplished way more than you know anybody thought, or than I even thought uh, back in 2005 with the Rams. I was hoping to hang on for a year or two, and it's been an amazing wild ride. But getting to do it now at age 37, and to be surrounded by a bunch of 20-somethings out there. It does make me feel youthful. Ryan Fitzpatrick with Peter King earlier this week. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Peter, has perfected the Tom Hanks and Forrest Gump after running all across the country look. Very impressive <laughs> by Ryan Fitzpatrick. And, and impressive performances by him at times in his career, which lull us into this sense that it's always going to continue until it doesn't, and then it goes the other way, and we think he's not very good, and then he's great again, and it just goes back and forth and back and forth. So on this Friday edition of PFT Live, as we get you ready for week four of the 2020 NFL season, there are some very good teams that have to go on the road this week, and one of the best teams in the NFL, the Seattle Seahawks, has to go to Miami all the way across the country, as far as you can go and still stay in the contiguous 48 U.S. states. From the upper left corner all the way down to the lower right corner, you've got Seattle at Miami, and the Seahawks' defense, not very good. Ryan Fitzpatrick last Thursday night, pretty damn good. Do I smell a shootout coming in South Florida, Peter? I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I really do, and... What I find interesting about games like this is, and I wish I had looked up the weather, Mike. I, look up the weather for uh, Miami Gardens, Florida, and let's see what the humidity is going to be on Sunday. Because what is going to happen in this game is that, you know, the Seattle Seahawks are used to playing in a, uh, a very, very nice climate uh, where it's never really that hot. And, uh, and, and it certainly wasn't, you know, hasn't been for them so far this year. So now what happens if they come in, it's 88 degrees and, and, and really humid at kickoff, and you got 27 guys getting IVs at halftime. I'm almost not exaggerating, you know, but I, anytime a game like this happens at this time of year, I think there's that chance. But I'll tell you the one other factor in this game that I think is going to be very interesting. And that is that, so Seattle's secondary, in my opinion, depending on what you have or what you don't have with Jamal Adams, you know, there are some big receivers and some physical receivers in, you know, in on the Miami depth chart. And so those are the kind of receivers that typically could give this team trouble. Now, DK Metcalf is going to give the Miami secondary 
a lot of trouble. But I'm saying on the other side, I, you're, you're tempted just to say, well, Russell Wilson's going to score in the 30s. And he probably will. But let's just see what happens, you know, on the other side as well. Here's what's scheduled for Miami Gardens, Florida on Sunday. Temperatures in the mid-70s, 47% chance of precipitation. Humidity at kickoff, 72%. Winds out of the southeast at 13 miles per Not hour. Not bad. Now for a look at Not the weather bad. in your neck be of the awful. woods. I can pivot to yeah. meteorology, Peter. That may be more fun. Stand in front of a green screen and pretend there's an actual country there and you're doing all this and you look over here and look down here. No, Mike Cantori Florio. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, all right. Uh, so, look, I think the Seahawks defense stinks and it's got to be driving Pete Carroll crazy, as we've said time and again this season. He's a student of Don, uh, not of Don Coryell, but of Bud Grant. And that's one of the reasons why I think Pete Carroll resisted this let Russ cook thing as long as he did, because you do put your defense on the field more often. You do put more stress on your defense and you do potentially put yourself in a situation where your defense is among the worst in the NFL statistically. And that's where the Seahawks currently are. And that's what's so fascinating about this game. This screams out trap game. It just does. And, you know, that's when you have your chance at taking down the great teams. The Chiefs aren't going to stumble against the Ravens or the Patriots. They're going to be fully focused and ready to go against the Ravens and the Patriots. They're going to stumble against the Chargers. They're going to stumble against the Raiders, against the teams where we just show up and win this game. And I think that's part of the challenge for the Seahawks this weekend. Pete Carroll keeping them focused on the task at hand and understanding that even though the Dolphins are not the, the 49ers or the Rams or the Packers or a team that they should be concerned about. They, they need to be concerned because, you know, Peter, uh, something I said earlier this week, with, with Russell Wilson having a dominant performance, a record-setting performance, usually in seasons like that, the team is winning easily. They're barely winning some of these games with Russell Wilson doing something unprecedented because the defense just can't hold up its end of the bargain. So they are in danger this weekend. If Ryan Fitzpatrick is more Fitzmagic than Fitztragic, the Seahawks are in danger this weekend. You know, add to this, uh, you know, just the fact that it's one of these 10 o'clock body clock games for the Seahawks. They'll be on an airplane for six hours, come to Miami, uh, and, uh, and then they'll play a 10 a.m. body clock game. They've got four of those this year, Mike. Obviously, they won their first one, uh, you know, in week one. But now they've got two more after this in weeks nine and 15. So it's, and look, nobody's crying for anybody, you know, in the NFL with how they travel. But I do think the only time I ever really pay attention to travel stories is when, for instance, you know, like what the Rams just did back and forth, back and forth to the East Coast. You know, that to me is a bit of a factor. But with Seattle, when you play so many times at 10 o'clock on your body clock, I think eventually that's going to catch up to you. Who knows if it'll be this week. You mentioned week nine and week 15. Week nine is the Bills at one o'clock Eastern time. I got a feeling that between now and week nine, that game ends up 425 Eastern, Peter. I don't know the rest of the details for that good weekend. Point. Very good point. But, but, yeah. but, but that, that, that's a game that cries out for don't lump us in with the other one o'clock Eastern games. And what a stretch the Seahawks have coming out of their bye. At the Cardinals, the 49ers, at the Bills, at the Rams, and then the Cardinals. And you may look at it and say, oh, the Cardinals. No, the Cardinals, the Cardinals went to Seattle and beat them last year when Seattle was trying to still win the division. That, that is a hell of a stretch, and that's the thing. They're going to be fully locked in for those games. They need to be fully locked in for this game, or that 3-0 and is going to become 3-1. and The Bills trying to avoid going 3-1 and one after that, that great come from behind after they gave up the huge lead win over the Rams on Sunday. They go to Vegas. They're the second team to play in the new stadium where the Raiders took down the Saints. Can Josh Allen keep this going? I mean, it, it, it's, it's fascinating to see it. You know, I said on Monday, the difference between him and Patrick Mahomes, they do similar things, but Mahomes seems like he's in control. Allen seems like he's always on that edge of, you know, the bike careening into a tree, and he still finds a way to get it done, although every once in a while the bike does hit the tree. 
can Josh Allen keep this going at this rate that we've seen? Because he really has been spectacular. Well, Mike, I think the big difference in Josh Allen, you know, I talked to Tony Romo, who's one of his mentors uh, this offseason, and I talked to Romo Sunday night, and he said, you know, you got to hand it to a guy who's an NFL quarterback, and he basically comes to people like me and says, how can I be better? He said he really is hungry to be better. And so he worked with Jordan Palmer, his, his personal quarterback coach in the offseason, and he also got tutored by Tony Romo. And the one thing that he has done, Mike, you know, this is a guy who was a 58% passer in college. He was a 56% passer in his first two years in the NFL. But he went to school so much on his mechanics this offseason that now he's a 71% passer through three games. And, you know, you look at that and you say, well, you know, it's only three games. And you're right. I'm not saying it's going to continue. But what I'm saying is if you watch the way that Josh Allen played in the first two years versus the way he plays now, you're right. He still is a little bit of the guy who's driving 10 miles an hour too fast on a hairpin turn uh, in a mountainous on a mountainous road. However, just watch the ease in which he makes so many of his throws. He's not trying to throw it 106 miles an hour. He's not trying to be the Aroldis Chapman of football. I know that's hard for you to understand because you don't know who Aroldis Chapman is. But he's a guy who throws 101 for the Yankees. But he's not trying to be that anymore. He's just trying to be the guy who completes the pass with touch. That's one of the things he learned this offseason. And Mike, I, as I say, I don't know if it's going to continue. But he's looking like a totally different quarterback through three games. I agree with you. And one of the reasons why the completion percentage is up, he's got a great core of receivers for the first time in his life. He's got Stephon Diggs. He's got John Brown. He's got Cole Beasley. Gabriel Davis has been a, a, a steal of a fourth-round pick who's done very well the past couple of weeks. Great catches against the Dolphins and against the Rams. Here's John Gruden, the guy who has to deal with Josh Allen this week, talking about the big guy from Wyoming who's coming into his own. Allen is a problem for everybody. He can make the throws that you can dream about. He's powerful. He's got a rocket. He's hard to tackle. He's smart. Uh, he's everything you're looking for at the quarterback position. And they've surrounded him with an arsenal of good players. Speed. And the acquisition of Diggs gives them a guy that can really hurt you down the field. We do a matchup draft every Thursday, the matchups we're most interested in for the coming week, Peter. And I picked Derek Carr versus Josh Allen in part because of that vibe we just got from Gruden. If you play quarterback for John Gruden, he's always looking for a better quarterback elsewhere. And he's always, and this is something I've learned from Sims, he's always talking in the presence of his quarterback about some other great quarterback. And it's got to piss you off. See, I don't hesitate that time to say it. It's got to piss you off if you're Derek Carr. You don't want to hear about this other quarterback that he thinks is so great. Because by implication, it means you're not. Can I tell you one of the lessons that Josh Allen learned this offseason in his uh, conversations with, with Tony Romo? One of the things that Romo believes fer fervently is, you know, you can complete a pass to a running back on a wheel route and he can gain three yards coming out of the backfield. And it's marked down as a completion. And he got three yards, so it's some positive yardage. But if you threw that ball to your running back in perfect stride, he could make 11 yards. So that's the difference. One of the big differences in Josh Allen, he's throwing the ball to his receivers where they can continue to make plays. Mike, his yards per attempt is up two and a half yards per attempt. That's a gigantic thing. If your yards per attempt, I think it's 9.1. If your yards per attempt is 9.1, you know what that means? Every time you take a snap from center and you're in passing mode, you're getting a first down on average. You know, I mean, so that is the big difference this year with Josh Allen. Much more accurate and much more knowledgeable about what it takes to run an offense 
and to keep things going on offense. Now, as you said, you said it early, he's got to get a little bit more control of his temper and he can't be, you know, getting penalties for saying dumb things to officials and to, and to other teams. So that is still a work in progress with Josh Allen. Yeah, and look, this will be a good test for them. Coming off of a very emotional and draining win, both physically and in every other way possible, going on the road against a team that they saw get dismantled by the New England Patriots. Can they keep their focus? Can they hold it together? Can they get to four and oh? All right, the Baltimore Ravens, after getting smacked in the mouth on Monday night by the Kansas City Chiefs, stay fairly close to home to take on a Washington team that is capable of being dangerous. Here is Lamar Jackson the Ravens quarterback, on the challenge of bouncing back after losing to Kansas City on Monday night. Is the sense this week that, yeah, it was a disappointing loss, but look, it's only week three and there's a lot of football left to play? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, it's, you know we hate the outcome of the game, but like, like you said, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of football left this season. We can't dwell on it. You know, we've got to move forward and focus on Washington now. Is it cold enough for a winter coat? He's got the George Costanza Gore-Tex coat, Peter. I I don't know. I don't go outside very much. Was it? Is there something going on that I don't know about? Well, it was 56 degrees this morning in Brooklyn when I took the dog out for a walk about 6. So, uh, and I didn't have Gore-Tex. I had a hoodie. But uh, <laughs> I, you, could, you could stretch and go to Gore-Tex in the East right now. <laughs> um, look, this really is... A, a challenge for the Ravens for one very specific reason. When I talked to John Harbaugh after this dismantled the Browns 38 to six to start the season, I said, what have you done to get your guys to forget about last year? Cause that's the bill Belichick play. No matter what happens last year, it's done. It's over. You're zero and zero. You start over. Nothing that happened last year means a damn thing this year. Harbaugh said, they haven't forgotten about it. They're talking about it. They want to talk about it. They want to live up to that standard. They want to be as good, if not better than they were last year. Okay, fine, that's the aspiration. You just got reminded that there's still a hell of a gap between you and the Chiefs. You just got reminded, as Lamar Jackson admitted after the game on Monday night, that the Chiefs are your kryptonite. I think it's going to take a lot. And, and Peter, there was a, a montage that was posted on the Ravens' Twitter account of all these guys on the sideline at the end of the game trying to prop each other up, saying, we'll get it back, we'll get it back, we got to refocus. We gotta... I, this, is gonna be, this is gonna not be easy for them after being humbled at a time when they thought they were ready to establish themselves, when they were convinced that they were going to be able to handle the Chiefs, to get put back in their place, how do you on a short week, and fortunately they don't have to go across the country, it's not a long trip at all, but how do you get yourself refocused to come back and assert yourself with the kind of dominance we know they're capable of on the heels of having that tough showing? That's going to be, for me, uh, the real challenge. Because if I recall correctly... I may need to go back and look at the 2019 schedule. I think after they lost to the Chiefs last year, I think the next week they lost at home to the Browns, which was far more of a stunning outcome. Look, Mike, there's two things about both Monday night and about this coming Sunday that I think are really important for this team. On Monday, uh, coming right out of the box for the, uh, you know, for the third quarter, they're down 17 points. You know, Ronnie Stanley, your franchise left tackle, misses a block, uh, a, a block where he's one-on-one -on -one with Anthony Hitchens, the Chiefs linebacker. And Hitchens comes in and absolutely decletes Mark Ingram. Okay, that's at the beginning of the drive. At the end of the drive, they got fourth and two. They're all excited. They're deep in Chiefs territory. They're going for it on fourth and two. This is the play that's going to get them back in this game. They'll have scored right at the start of the second half. They'll be down 10. They'll be fired up. Everything's good. And what happens? Orlando Brown jumps. False start. They go back. They kick the field goal, a chippy field goal, instead of going for the touchdown and getting momentum. And I will just make this point about it, Mike. It's very easy and very convenient to say, man, Lamar Jackson, you know, terrible, awful, cost us the game, just not there. He just wasn't there. If I'm John Harbaugh, I walk into my team on Wednesday morning or Zoom, however they're doing their team meetings, and I would say, guys, 
This loss is on everybody because we all stunk Monday night. And that to me, when I was watching that game, I kept saying the unfortunate thing will be that, you know, Lamar Jackson's going to get blamed for this. And look, he, he deserves his share of blame. Believe me, anybody who watched that game would understand that, how he underthrew Marquise Brown on the touchdown pass. And it was almost intercepted. But, but that's a team loss. That's one thing. The second thing I would say is when you play Washington, you got to be careful about le- being lulled into a false sense of security thinking that this is a lousy team. I mean, look at that defensive front. There aren't very many that are better. Now, they have had a couple of big injuries there, but still, that is a front that can give you trouble. And if they go into this saying, okay, we're fine, we're going to rebound and everything like that, they're going to get punched in the jaw by Washington. I can tell you. And so we'll see how they respond. And it was last year after losing in Kansas City, a game they fell behind 17 points, tried to come back and win it, realized they're not in the same class as the Chiefs. They came home and they got beat 40-25 to 25 by the Cleveland Browns. So this, this isn't the classic trap game. This is the rebound game. And last year we saw what happened week four to the Ravens in that rebound game, and they need to be on guard. They need to dig deep on a short week to forget about the Chiefs and refocus. And when you look at what happened to the Ravens last year, it took them a while to hit their stride after losing those two games in a row. They almost lost to Pittsburgh without Ben Roethlisberger, had to take it to overtime, and just, you know, games that they were winning by small margins, and then they started getting a little bit better, a little bit better, and then by November they were flat-out dominant. It was uh, really uh, – it culminated in that shredding of the Rams on Monday Night Football. But the, the Ravens, uh, they're, they're, they've got their work cut out for them this week. They're, they're a 13-point favorite, and uh, if it all falls together and they play like they're capable of playing, Peter, they, they win by 20. But if, if they don't, Washington could beat them this week. Or at least keep it very, very close. Yes. And I just don't know which way that's going to go for the Ravens because we don't know how they're going to recover from having that bubble burst in a very violent and dramatic and conspicuous way on Monday Night Football. If, if, if I were the Ravens and if I were John Harbaugh, I'd almost want to face some adversity in this game. I really would. Because sometimes it's too easy for Baltimore. You know, Mike, we talked the other day, and 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 and, and this is the stat about Lamar Jackson and these Baltimore Ravens. Lamar started 27 games in his career. Six times he's been behind at halftime. They're 0-6 in those games. He's won the other 21. So what that tells me is he's a great momentum player. He's a great play-from-ahead quarterback. Okay, And you've got to play well in the first half to get ahead, too. But what I'm saying is, I want Lamar Jackson, if I'm John Harbaugh, if I'm Greg Roman, I want him to face some adversity. And I want him to conquer that adversity. That is what we have not seen him do. And that's an excellent point for another important reason. To the extent that there are narratives that are hardening for this Ravens team that need to be changed, the most important one is 0-2 for Lamar Jackson in the postseason. So they need to start turning this around. They need to come from behind in the second half of a game. They need to do something to, to allow these isolated but very glaring defects in an otherwise stellar skill set they've got to iron them out or they're never going to achieve what they want to achieve. All right, we're going to take a break. We've got some fill in the blank. But before that, Peter, I'm told that we have found the inspiration for the Lamar. There he is. There it is. Gore-Tex. You you know what happened with the Gore-Tex coat, don't you? Do you remember what happened with the Gore-Tex coat? Yeah, he knocked over the wine and he had to pay for it. Well, Kramer... He knocked over the wine, and then Kramer fell in it, and they busted all the bottles, so he had to leave the jacket behind at the liquor store to pay for all the bottles that they broke <laughs> uh, as they were. Because Saddam Hussein was double-parked outside, remember? That's uh, right, had to he wait was. Inside. Yeah, yeah. Kramer what had a hypothermia. memory you have for Seinfeld. Kramer, Kramer had hypothermia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the Kramer Pratt fall, it, it still makes me laugh every time I see it to this day. When he's just standing there and he yeah. just falls down. 
All right, uh, enough of that. Let's take a break. Fill in the blank time when PFT Live continues. Feel really comfortable. And I think that, you know, going in this week, the, the con there's been a lot of great conversations. And, um, you know, even last game, um, I felt more of myself when I stepped into that situation, just playing and getting to just do things that I like to do um, in a chaotic situation. So it's, uh, you know, I'm definitely a lot more comfortable than I was, but you know, that's what this week, this week will be great to go out there and practice and get a preparation week and go through the plays and study the plays and watch, watch practice after practice and fine tune everything. So, um, you know, I'm hoping by the time it's game time, we've grown even more. Nick Foles taking over as the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears after leading the Bears from a 16-point deficit against the Falcons based on a gut feeling from Coach Matt Nagy. Who would have dreamed that if Mitchell Trubisky was benched for Nick Foles, the Bears would also be 3-0. and But that's the record they take into this game against the very good Indianapolis Colts at 2-1. and Fill in the blank time, Peter. With Nick Foles starting, the Bears are what? Respectable and... A, more, a team more suited to make the playoffs than with Mitchell Trubisky. And the one point I would make about Foles, Mike, is that we can say whatever we want about, well, you know, he's never done it for a full season, and boy, look what has happened when he was in this situation. You know what? He's a pretty damn good savior. And I don't say that lightly. I mean it. I mean it because he did it twice in Philadelphia, and he's handed the job in Jacksonville, and he doesn't do it, and then he gets hurt, okay? And now he comes in and plays one of the best quarters of his life uh, to win a game that they had no business winning in Atlanta. So to me, he gives the Chicago Bears the best chance now to be that seventh seed. Yeah, I agree with you completely, Peter. And my concern is that we've seen him in the past – We've seen him take big hits. His first game as the starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, he exited with a broken collarbone after taking a big hit on a touchdown pass. He took a big hit on a touchdown pass on Sunday. You know, one of the reasons I think that Matt Nagy has been extra respectful of Mitchell Trubisky, didn't name Nick Foles the starter right after the game, waited until Monday morning to make it clear that that's the direction they were going. I think Nagy knows there's a chance he's going to need Trubisky. That, no that question even if about Foles it. is the guy, there's a chance he's not going to be able to go and they're going to need Trubisky back in the field. And he may have to he may have to do what he did in week one, which is bring the team back from a 17-point deficit to win the game. Look, here's the bottom line to the Chicago Bears situation. Matt Nagy needs to go into every Sunday saying, what do I do this week to win this game? He's not trying to build a Boeing 747. You know, he is trying to, to tinker and figure out how am I beating the Indianapolis Colts? How are we gaining yards on Matt Eberflus and Darius Leonard this week? And those are his big issues. And I think he's been good at it so far. And look, we also know, Mike, that based on the body language and the face that we've seen of Mitchell Trubisky on the sidelines, you saw it when they played the Rams last year, you know, that, that this guy wears his emotions on his face. And, you know, clearly you don't want to lose Mitchell Trubisky when you know there's a decent chance you're going to need him at some point the rest of this year. And that's what makes what's happened so stunning. I talked to him after the week two win over the Giants, and he sounded so different than he ever had before. There was a confidence there. There was an assuredness there that hadn't been there. And he's 2-0. and He's riding high. But there has to be a hell of a story as to why Matt Nagy decided in that moment, in that game, to make the switch. And maybe he just, between looking at the film, watching practice, seeing what Foles was doing, Whatever caused him to go with Trubisky week one flipped pretty quickly. And they're three. I never would have dreamed this team would be undefeated at the time the switch was never. made from Trubisky to Foles. I thought it was coming at some point. I said, hey, at some point, Foles is going to play this year. And uh, who would have dreamed that it would be under these circumstances? One interesting fact about this game, the Colts, 
led by Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator of that Eagles team, where Nick Foles came in and after Carson Wentz was injured, led them to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. Reich got the job. Uh, Reich knows Foles, knows what makes him tick, Peter. I don't know how much of that makes its way to Matt Eberflus and makes its way into the game plan and makes its way into how they defend Nick Foles. But if any coach out there knows Nick Foles, it's Frank Reich. Well, there's no, there's no doubt about it, and I'll never forget, Mike, one of my favorite stories that I've done in recent years is going to sit with uh, Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, and um, uh, uh, John DiFilippo. Bro, what's his... No. I thought uh, it was John DiFilippo. In, 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 no, in Philadelphia. But, but anyway, Mike Grow, who was the quarterback coach at the time. Reich was the offensive coordinator, and what happened... Uh, they deconstructed the, you know, how they ended up beating uh, the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl six days afterwards. And the reverence that Frank Reich had in that two-hour session with me and those coaches, the reverence he had for Nick Foles, you know, was just, it was so, it's something that I just remember it in his voice every time, man, Foles, Foles. And so there is great admiration and respect. And there's also an acknowledgement that Nick Foles can go on one of these runs again. And, and Mike, he's got better receivers now in Chicago than he had then in Philadelphia. And speaking of Philadelphia, you know, one of the ramifications of Nick Foles' return to a starting job, it just adds even more pressure on the Eagles, and I feel like as they've continued to go all in with Carson Wentz between trading up to making the second overall pick, picking him over Nick Foles after Foles led those two great playoff runs that caused some to say maybe Foles is their long-term guy, giving Wentz the big contract. I feel so much pressure and urgency on these Eagles, and let's focus on that Sunday night game on NBC, the Eagles at the 49ers. Carson Wentz needs to be what, Peter, for Philly to pull off the upset of the 49ers? He needs to take what is right in front of him. <clears throat> he needs to stop thinking, I got to make big plays. He needs to start thinking, I need to make plays, period. And I think if you've watched him, every time he throws the ball downfield, you said, oh my God, you get nervous. You get nervous. Whereas the Carson Wentz of the first you know, three months of 2017, you said, oh my God, this guy's the next superstar of football. And so I think he needs to stop trying to do too much, even if it means that he's throwing only wheel routes and intermediate stuff to Zach Ertz. That's, that's what I think he needs to concentrate on. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like he's trying to score 20 points on every play, that he feels like one game is going to push back all of the doubters. The fans in Philadelphia aren't happy. You know, it, it's – Sims and I talked about this this week. It's almost as if winning a Super Bowl has made those fans crazier. They, 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 they want it every year now. It's like a drug. Yeah. Instead of just being happy that they finally have one, they're less patient with the team than they ever were before because that's the standard that every addition to the Eagles is going to be compared to until the memory of that Super Bowl fully fades. All right, Browns and the Cowboys. A Browns-Cowboys shootout, if it happens, if it happens, a shootout favors who? Dallas, because I just trust, uh, you know, I trust Dak Prescott a lot more than I trust Baker Mayfield. And – I say that in part because of the weaponry, but in part because I just think that at some point, even though Dak Prescott failed at the end of the Seattle game, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of emotion on Baker Mayfield in this game. First of all, it's almost a home game for him. He lives in Austin. Uh, he's a Texas guy, Southwest Conference. This is a big, big deal for him to be playing the Dallas Cowboys in Arlington, Texas, okay? So there's going to be a lot. It's going to be a, a you know a, a mega game in his mind. And I think the other part of this is, you know, I had a conversation with Dak Prescott a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> and the thing, I, the thing that really stuck with me about that is, and it sounds weird, 
but the reverence he had for C.D. Lamb and, and just what C.D. Lamb brings to this offense is basically when you play Cleveland, you got to worry about Miles Garrett, okay? But if you have a lot of weapons and you can neutralize Miles Garrett, you should be able to find those weapons. Uh, and so that's why I just believe right now this week in, uh, in, in uh, uh, the Cowboys a little bit more. But can I just say one other thing, Mike? And I don't mean to monopolize this, but in my opinion, right now, when you look at the Cowboys, Alden Smith has been a huge star. You made the point the other day. You know, it's amazing how he doesn't win, you know, Defensive Player of the Month in the NFC. He's leading him in sacks. What an incredible story. He hasn't played in five years. It's unbelievable. Here is the bigger thing about the Dallas Cowboys and why we're all saying, hey, the Browns got a chance. Because Demarcus Lawrence and Everson Griffin, in 238 snaps combined between them in three games, have one sack and two significant quarterback pressures. That is not good enough. You're basically telling Alden Smith, hey, listen, you got to do it all. So to me, I really think the Cowboys have got to get better production from their big stars on the defensive front. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Peter, because one of the things that Sims and I have identified is a line of demarcation between the good quarterbacks and the great quarterbacks. The good quarterbacks can run the play that's called, but when it all falls apart, they can't get it done. They can't improvise. They can't come up with a second unscripted play to save the play that failed. The great quarterbacks have the mobility and the ability to keep the play alive and make a good decision and get the ball down the field. And I put Baker Mayfield and Gardner Minshew kind of right on that borderline where against some teams, they can outrun the pass rush and they can maneuver and they can improvise if they need to. Against other teams, they can't. And it's just a question of how good is that pass rush. And that's the challenge for the Cowboys. And you hit the nail on the head. Alden Smith is unstoppable. Even when you double team him, he fights through it. It's incredible to see what he's doing. If he could just get some help from the other guys in that front seven, then you make Baker Mayfield into guy who can't pivot away from the play that's called and extend the play with his legs because he's getting swallowed up by the pass rush. Look, the other thing that you have to admire about Alden Smith is that he knew that all eyes were going to be on him and that he was going to have to perform and perform early or everybody would be saying, what a wasted thing by the Cowboys. You can't take a guy who hasn't played football in five years and say, hey, play a feature role in our defense. So there was a lot of pressure on Alden Smith early and he has totally responded. So far, Mike, the best game that any defensive player has played in the NFL in the first quarter of the season, Alden Smith at Seattle in week three. Yeah, that's the thing. Shaq Barrett's the defensive player of the week for chasing around a bunch of backup quarterbacks in Denver. Alden Smith sacked Russell Wilson three times. He sacked Russell Wilson three times. And uh, uh, it's a shame he's not getting the recognition, but we're doing what we can because it's a great story. He was homeless a year ago. Homeless! a year ago, fighting through addiction problems and so far winning. And it just it's sad, Peter, to think of what he could have been if he would have been playing continuously from 2013 or so when his problems really escalated until now. All right, Saints at Lions. Through three weeks, the Saints offense has been what, Peter? Unsurprising. And you're saying, well, what do you mean Unsurprising. And what I will say is that any team that for 70% of, of, a, of a period of time who doesn't have the most explosive weapon on offense, and, you're, and this is a guy who Drew Brees has grown to lean on every time he goes back to pass. If you don't have Michael Thomas, I mean, how good are you going to be? So I'm not really shocked. And you know, Mike, I know everybody is making a huge deal. Oh my God, Breeze, he's falling. You know, he's, he, he's not going to be able to rebound. All I'd ask you to do is just, and again, stats can lie. I get that. But if you look at his statistics, yards per attempt, completion percentage, things like that, the important things, uh, to me, 
he's not horrible compared to the last three or four years. And the reason why he's not having the success throwing downfield, in my opinion, Traquan Smith is not Michael Thomas. And so I want to give him a fair chance with his complement of players to still be a great player. And without having Michael Thomas in there, I think it's a little bit unfair to uh, uh, be digging a hole for the guy. Amazing to say it's a desperation game for the Saints this weekend, but it is. They need this one after losing two in a row. Even more desperation in Houston. Winless Vikings, winless Texans. The loser of this game is what, Peter? All but eliminated from the playoff hunt. You don't go 0-4. What is it? One team has gone 0-4 and made the playoffs? 92 Chargers. Um, 92 Chargers. Bobby Ross's first year there. Yeah, and and look, it would be one thing. If I could look at either of these teams and say they could go on a seven-game winning streak, I, I mean, look, Kirk Cousins can get hot, but can Kirk Cousins win seven in a row? Uh, you know, with this team right now the way it is, I don't see it. Can Deshaun Watson overcome the problems he has on his offensive line? And can their defense be dominant again in Houston? I don't see it. Neither of these teams can recover from 0-4. And even at 0-3, it's a long shot. Here are the odds to win the division from Points Bet Sportsbook, the new official sports betting partner of NBC Sports. Houston plus 750, even at 0-3 in a division where, well, the Titans are 3-0, but it feels like they're living on borrowed time. They've beaten three teams that just aren't very good, grand scheme of things, by a total of six points. Minnesota at plus 900, and there are the Giants at plus 2200. I'm surprised by that for the Giants because they're in the worst division. At 0 and 3, they're only a game out of first place, Peter. I'm not ready. And that's a that just seems like long long. That's a slap in the face for the New York Football Giants cuz well, I think the everybody's still wanna, alive in the NFC East. You want to know why those odds are so long because Daniel Jones, who spent all off-season whatever it is that he did, and I don't know what he did, trying to make sure that he doesn't have the turnover bug again. Six turnovers in three games. What has changed? Not much. That's why the New York Giants, who, and I keep saying this, they're going to win a few games. I don't know, three, four, five, I don't know. They're not awful. The New York Jets are awful. The Giants are not awful. There's a hole between 31 and 32 in this league. A gap, rather. Best, best team in New York. Put... Put, put, the, put the signs on the subways. Best team in New York, the New York football giants. When we return, show me something draft for week four of the 2020 NFL season. We'll do that right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There's your Peacock lineup weekdays, starting at 7 a.m., continuing until 6 p.m., brother from another at 3 p.m. Eastern, doing the list of the best Eddie Murphy movies. It is amazing, Peter King, how many movies Eddie Murphy has been in. My personal favorite, Trading Places, followed closely by Beverly Hills Cop and The Nutty Professor. They didn't mention The Nutty Professor. That's a tour de force when he's all the different clump family members sitting around the table. The, the Those scenes are just incredible. Some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen. Raw, 
was a concert movie that was jaw-dropping with some of its profanity, but uh, Eddie Murphy has been in so... It's amazing how many movies he's been in over the last 40 years. Okay, now I have a trivia, little piece of trivia that, Mike, you will never forget this once I say it, okay? I once fell asleep on a couch in Brett Favre's house with Nutty Professor playing on the television. <laughs> Well, there you go. I have, no, I have no words. I have no words. And the reason why I remember it is I had a hole in my left sock, and Favre would never let me forget it after that. He said, Peter, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, you make a pretty good living. You should not have socks with holes in them. <laughs> I said, okay, all right, I get it. He only said it about 74 times the rest of my life. Anyway. That's funny. That's good. All right, let's get into the show me something draft for week four. Peter, you're uh, you're up first. What do you got? Hey, listen, Carson Wentz has to show me something. You know, the Philadelphia Eagles are already going down the yellow brick road of torture. And they're already really fortunate that they're not letting fans in their own stadium because Carson Wentz would have gotten booed out of that stadium by this point. And now he gets an opportunity against a beat-up San Francisco defense to come out and play a game away from home. And, and to me, this is a golden opportunity to begin the Carson Wentz rehab show. And that rehab has to, has to include taking what the defense gives you. And in the immortal words of Mike Florio, stop trying to score 20 points on every drive. Uh, I, that's a good one, and I'll tell you what, for me and for all the reasons we've discussed today and really all week since Tuesday morning, Lamar Jackson, show me what you can do after getting humbled the way that you did on Monday Night Football on a short week. Can you reestablish yourself as the great player that you are, or will this one linger with you? Will you start to force it? Will you start to try to do too much to show everyone that you're the defending MVP? So I want to see Lamar Jackson in a game that the Ravens should win easily. What can they do, Peter? Show me something NFL players and show me something NFL coaches, okay? Take it very, very seriously that just because you go through the first 15 days of testing uh, zero positives for 2,460 players. It's not over. No, it's not over. It continues, and it continues every single day. Show me something. Don't put yourself in position to get COVID-19 and to derail your team season and perhaps the NFL season. Good one, Peter, and a wise uh, message that uh, everyone needs to take seriously. Uh, especially the NFL players if they want to get the games in. All right, next one for me. We talked about this earlier in the show. Seattle defense, show me something. Fitzmagic is in full effect. Turn him into Fitztragic. If you want to be a championship-caliber team, you're not going to have Russell Wilson throwing five touchdown passes every single game and winning it for you every single game. At some point, you got to step up and you got to play. This is your chance. Go to Miami, shut down Ryan Fitzpatrick, and shut up the people who are saying, what happened to the Legion of Boom? Show me something, Kyler Murray. And the reason that I say that in, in a game that is maybe the least, uh, it, it will, will draw the least attention this weekend, Arizona at Carolina. Okay, look, in the first two weeks of the season, we all said, oh my God, Cardinals, sixth seed in the playoffs. They're, they're, they mean it. They're good. They're impressive. Well, then they have a clunker at home against an 0-2 Detroit team. Okay, so now show me something, Kyler Murray. Show me that you are not going to be mortally wounded by a horrible home loss. And you can go on the road in a game that you should win. And you go on the road in some difficult circumstances coming off that loss. Show me, Kyler Murray, that you can lift your team to a road win when times are tough in the NFL. 
And that's a great one, Peter, because for me, the line of demarcation between a good team and a bad team is a good team beats bad teams when it's supposed to. And you can't lay an egg against the Detroit Lions and expect to be regarded as a good team. And if you do it twice in a row against a rebuilding Panthers team, then you have to wonder, are the Cardinals ready to consistently win and be in the mix in the NFC West? So I like that one very much. All right, I'm torn for my last one between two guys. And I think I've got it figured out. I was going to go Nick Foles, but it, how can you say show me something to a def, to a Super Bowl MVP? He's already shown us <laughs> that he's capable, right? So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. How about the guy who's still ascending or not? Baker Mayfield. You made the point perfectly earlier in the show. Going back to Texas, his home state, big stage. If he stays with the Browns, he's only going to play there once every eight years. This is your chance, Baker Mayfield, to show that you belong on the same field as Dak Prescott, to show that the Cleveland Browns aren't just a Jim Brown, three yards and a cloud of dust team, that their quarterback can get it done. This is his chance. Either he does or he doesn't. And maybe that's why he was talking earlier this week about the possibility of a shootout, because maybe deep down, Peter, he wants one because he wants to prove to all of us that he belongs. Overtime, Mike, we each get an extra one in the extra period. I'll say, show me something, Cam Newton. Because really, I think everybody who loves the New England Patriots and a lot of people who hate the Patriots look at Cam Newton as, my God, what has the first month of the NFL season proven? That he's really, really better than we thought he was going to be. Now he's got to be better against the best team in football on the road. That is a show-me game for Cam Newton, and I want to see it. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm going to stay in that same general Baker Mayfield territory. There have been a lot of comparisons between Mayfield and Gardner Minshew. Minshew did not look good last Thursday night. He was constantly harassed by that Miami pass rush. In Cincinnati, that's not going to be the case. Going against the new flavor of the month, Joe Burrow, if the Jaguars aren't going to be in consideration for Trevor Lawrence, this is the kind of game they have to win. And they're underdogs. That's the ultimate slap in the face. So I like that Gardner Minshew moxie. I like his attitude. I like his style. He's got to win, though. And if he doesn't win this one, we start looking at the Jaguars the way we thought, Peter, we were going to be looking at the Jaguars all season long, notwithstanding that upset of the Colts to start the year. That's it. We're done. Enjoy week four. PFTPM coming up later today. Shereen Williams and I will continue to get you ready for week four, along with whatever news may happen over the course of the day. Then it's all weekend long at ProFootballTalk.com. Peter King's Football Morning in America on Monday. Enjoy the games. We'll see you Monday for another edition of PFT Live. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.